You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. In this episode, Carlos and Satch wax philosophical about lessons we can learn from nature, about a wide variety of topics, including sexuality, spirituality, martial arts, politics, and a whole lot more. Well, good evening, Satch. Good evening, Carlos. Um, I'm very excited about tonight. Come on, really? No, not really. You, no. you, you said that, but I, I want to know, is that really authentic? Do you authentically feel excited right now? Let, let, me, let me look deep inside and see. Um, yes, I do. I okay. really do. I want to take you um, at your word, buddy. Yeah, you know, uh, I think we can start this off with a story. Oh, yeah? Uh, once upon a time, uh, there was a particular individual who I had a close relationship with. And me and this person uh, had some sort of falling out, and there was some disappointment on my side about about what had happened there. And I was feeling a little bit uh, betrayed, I would say. Mm. And I was at a gathering, and there were some songs being sung. And this particular song spoke to me. It spoke deep to me. And the song starts like this. These are the lyrics. It says, Take a lesson from the sun who shines its light on everyone or the rain that falls on every single shore. No distinction of our race or the color of our face. Nature's gifts are there for all men, rich or poor. And I was thinking about the lyrics of the song and I was thinking about how I was feeling about this person that I um, was, was upset with. And I sort of asked myself, wow, if this person were standing in the sun, would the sun be so judgmental at this person that it would stop shining on them? Hmm. If it were raining right now, would the rain stop falling on this person because they didn't deserve it? And having that realization, listening to those lyrics, did something inside of me that that allowed me to um, not put the brakes on my ability to love and care for people. And that was a good, wonderful, transformative moment for me. And... I really understood that you can look at nature to find deeper insights about things. And that's what this show is about, isn't it? This show is about going to nature and finding the wisdom and the lessons that it has to teach us. Lessons from nature. I think that uh, most of us have run into the problem here and there, at least, that society, situations that we get into, difficulties arise and there's a complexity. You know, we say our life's so complicated. We've got so many things going on and, you know, so many problems and there's so many responsibilities. And by the way, there's all this technology you've got to know and you got to understand and how this technology interacts with other technology and how are we going to pay our rent and how are we going to take care of these things that, you know, Maslow put it into the structure, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, and basic food and shelter and survival is, is down there at the base and in this society that we're in, we're in a complex organization that has overlapping organizations connected to it. And our modern existence involves uh, unraveling and understanding and being fluent in all of these different 
systems that are overlapping. Sure. It gets really complicated, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of situations where I think many of us would um, wish for a simpler time, a simpler situation, a simpler set of circumstances. Yeah. Many philosophers throughout time have referred to those simpler times. Yes, and they the, have. the people yeah. who were the wise folks, you know, the masters, the sorcerers of old, the wise men and women, the sages, the sources of wisdom that we hear about in legends, we hear about it in myths, we hear about it in scripture, sacred scriptures from around the world. And often there are these references to the natural world and this idea that within nature exists a perfect example from which we can derive lessons understanding solutions for the problems uh, that we encounter in our daily life. There, there's even um, a person named Jeff Lawton who does permaculture, and he teaches about how to make uh, places like deserts into green oases, right? Yeah, right. So he greens the desert, and he's sort of semi-famous for saying all the solutions in, in the world, all the solutions to all the problems that, that occur in the world can be found in the garden. Oh, yeah. Wow. You know? And and I thought about it, and I have a hard time thinking of something I couldn't solve ultimately by reference to a garden. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's, uh, the problems that we run into can be likened to, uh, you know, weeds or obstructions to the roots or uh, overcrowding of, um, you know, these resources or not pruning these resources in time or a lack of fertilization of these ideas that could be like the plants or a lack of harvesting the fruits that are there and letting them rot and, you know, like resources that are not being used. Um, you know, invaders, uh, viruses, um, yeah. fungus. Um, I mean, there's just so many references to that. Yeah. And very practically in the garden are medicines that derive, food that derives from it, shelter, tools that all derive from nature. Yeah, yeah. You know, I also think that um, one of the, the most powerful lessons that nature teaches us is to be ourselves. Hmm. Because everything in nature is itself. If a lion is going after a gazelle, it is in the gazelle's best interest to follow their instincts, isn't it? And run, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> run. And when the gazelle succeeds and gets away from the lion, does the gazelle then go off and criticize itself and say, what a wimp I was, man, next time I'm going to turn, I'm going to face that lion. Right. You know, we understand that the gazelle is following its nature. It's being itself and being yourself and following one's own nature. Um, is perfectly okay. And nature is filled with examples that tell you, you should be who you are. Sure. And I think this is one of the problems that humans have. We too often section ourselves off from nature and we forget that we are actually part of this thing and that we think that we need to reconnect with it when we were never disconnected anyway. We just, right. um, think we're disconnected from it. Right. You know? Um, and I, I think in this conversation, we're going to talk about all sorts of lessons like that and examples that nature has yeah. to show about being ourselves and how it's okay to be yourself. It is. And with reference to what you just said, um, I was thinking about uh, in some native cultures where, well, I, I'm just thinking of um, you know, the Hawaiian culture that 
I was exposed to through my uncle. Um, you know, and, and things like um, being gay, okay, homosexual. Mm-hmm. It is accepted that if a person is born this way, that, that, that they're manifesting the identity which is in alignment with their purpose, that, you know, Mother Nature has created this occurrence for a reason. And so you're on this, I mean, just think of it, you're on an island, and the choice is you either incorporate everything and efficiently use all the resources you have, or you waste them. And if you want your culture to survive, you have to think more positively and forward-thinking. You have to be solution-focused. You have to think about inclusivity rather than exclusivity. I mean, we've discovered in in biological science that homosexuality is something that uh, they now believe to be universal among all mammals, that it's a naturally occurring um, aspect of existence. At some level, there's a purpose there. And rather than excluding and saying, this is unnatural, they said, this must be natural because it's occurring. Exactly. In our environment and, and... the gods, if you will, are manifesting this as a truth. Right. I love that. You know, to echo what you're saying, um, I recall in a cultural anthropology course having a similar discussion about Native Americans, about huh. Native American tribes. And there are many Native American cultures where people who were either homosexual or transgender or maybe had um, ambiguous genitalia, mm. that these people were actually respected in that society to the point where they would go to those individuals for wisdom. Right. Some of those individuals might be very important in, in a tribe of decision makers uh, because they offered a unique perspective. They offered a different way of nature seeing the world and that they had something special to offer. And I love that idea. Um, you just said moments ago that, you know, rather than look at those individuals as being not natural, You know, I mean, how arrogant is it to say that a piece of creation is not natural? I mean, really just step back and look at it for just a moment. It is created. (laughs) It is standing in its own existence. You know, it was created. Maybe it's there to um, help us evolve, to help us change. You know, there has to be some value, you know, to, to things that are a little bit different. You know, um, for many years, I have viewed alternative lifestyles, um, you know, like what we're talking about, homosexuality, transgender, and so on and so forth, uh, through the lens of yin and yang. Hmm. And ancient Chinese philosophy of yin and yang, which is nature-based, right? It comes from Taoism, and Taoism is all about naturalness, all about nature. Yin and yang tells us that these kinds of people have to exist, that they must exist. It is, it is the law of nature that these people exist. And so it's real simple. Everybody has seen the symbol for yin and yang, you know, the, the, the two little paisleys that are <laughs> hugging each other, right? Taiji symbol. Yeah, the Taiji symbol. And when we look at that symbol, we see that 
within yang is a little dot that represents yin. So the seed of yin is in yang and the seed of yang is in yin. We see that, right? So if yang is male and if yin is female, then doesn't there have to be some amount of yin that is manifest in yang? So among men, should there not be some men that have a little more yin manifesting in them? It is the law of nature. And within yin, there has to be the seed of yang in there. There, there has to be some women that, that maybe have more yang characteristics or yang traits. Um, so the doctrine of yin and yang says that these individuals have to exist. It is a law. We cannot have a nature without them. Hmm. Right. And, and we should embrace them as part of our nature. Yeah. But it, it, it's so commonplace to find that people aren't embracing what is natural and that they will place an artificial idea upon something that really is perfectly natural. Sure. You know, it, sure. it's like talk about sexuality in general, you know, that uh, lack of recognition of how natural it truly is. And I think there might be uh, some safety reasons around why that might occur. But then when you extract the safety reasons out of it, there's still this closed-minded view on sexuality that starts showing up even outside of views on homosexuality, views on on just heterosexuality, um, sure. a puritanical view versus a, um, a relaxed and open natural view on it. Um, you know, you compare, say, a very strict and rigid Abrahamic religious view versus, say, a uh, nature-based religion, a pantheistic religion, or mm-hmm. um, a pagan tradition, a rural tradition. They yeah. still have different rules around it, but yeah. it's a di- different attitudes, aren't they? You know, they different are, ways yeah. of looking at, at sexuality. Absolutely, yeah. You know, many of the native traditions have very, very different ways of looking at sexuality. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. So... What are we talking about here? I mean, the, the, the idea is that so many of us are craving, we're craving to feel a connection again. We don't want to feel disconnected, dissociated, and diseased. Yeah. You know, yeah. we want to feel that there are solutions. Yeah. You and I have spent a lot of time reflecting on nature and the lessons extant in nature because of our philosophical background mm-hmm. and our life pursuit of self-cultivation we've we've actually put that into practice yeah in different ways haven't we yeah we have we have and uh nature continues to reflect all of the amazing things that i learn every time i learn some new concept you know i can see that oh yep there it was the whole time staring me in the face right in the face of nature well so so what's an example of that what you know where where have you seen something in nature that has helped you to solve a problem or helped you to address something that, that, um, you were stuck. Sure. Sure. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is within martial arts and you and I, um, have quite a background enjoying martial arts. And one of the things that our, one of our teachers would always get us to do is to try to be more natural, you know, and there are times when I might be trying to, to figure out how to use my body in a certain way to, uh, uh, you know, handle a strong push and I'm getting in my own way and I'm falling over, I'm falling over. And then maybe he would say something to me that causes me to realize that, oh, I'm struggling too much. Oh, I'm getting in my own way. Oh, I'm overthinking this. And when I just do something natural, like just exhale and just let my shoulder relax and suddenly I'm able to do the technique and the person is 
able to push as hard as they want and I cannot be knocked over when before I couldn't prevent myself from being knocked over, you know? So, mm. so finding some naturalness in that, um, is, is one example. Uh, another one was how we started this with the conversation about me casting guilt upon, you know, uh, a friend, um, and then realizing that, you know, the answer was right there in nature and it harmonized my ability to interact with that person. And, and it mm. helped create some healing in that relationship. You know, that, that was another example. Well, you, you, you talked about, uh, martial arts and, uh, any physical pursuit, you know, golfing, uh, dancing, uh, martial arts, uh, th- these are things that require good body mechanics, structural integrity, um, and the athletic ability that you are harnessing requires that you relax. And uh, many of the experts in these fields will talk about you're looking for naturalness. Yeah. You know, you're going into a flow state, of course, right? A state of yeah. relaxed high performance. But you also need to feel a naturalness in your body. So you've got to, you know, what is that like for someone who's not in touch with their body? You know, uh, I think it's, it's a, a regular occurrence that someone will tell me, oh, I'm not in touch with my body. I don't know what that feels like because they're coming from a cerebral point of view and they haven't experimented much with dropping down their vantage point of their subjective experience. They haven't dropped into that physical kinesthetic very much. And so they don't even know how to do what you're asking them to do. I mean, we've been in the Tai Chi class so many, you know, so many years and Mm -hmm. seeing people struggle with it and also experiencing ourselves struggle with it. And we're asking a lot of the same questions and we, we sometimes smile when we hear someone asking the same question we would ask. Sure, yeah. What do yeah, you it's mean funny. relax? Yeah. What does that mean yeah. to relax? You know, and, and when someone's pushing on you and you're looking for a solution and you're, you're thinking, how do I get out of this? How do I respond appropriately? And their answer is relax. Well, that doesn't always make sense or translate into something that you can do. And you're feeling varying degrees of frustration because you're, you're never quite doing it right. Right. You, yeah. You're, you're, you're never quite getting it. And then when you do get it, you realize that you can't, you can't try to relax. Right. You know, you can't attempt, you can't attempt to be natural. You know, it, it happens and you go, Oh, that was it. Right. And it worked. And then you try to do it again and then it doesn't work because you're trying to relax. And that is so frustrating. <laughs> it is. For it's those very, of us who want to get it right, whatever yeah. getting it right means. Well, you know, I think, I think another thing that um, studying nature has helped me with personally mm. is in my own life, um, earlier in my life, I wanted to shy away from responsibility. I wanted to shy away from leadership. Mm. I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't want to... Um, have things that I was responsible for. And those kinds of things kept happening in my life. You know, responsibilities kept finding me. Mm. And times when I had to step up and lead kept finding me. And I didn't want to do these things. This reminds me of when I first got a job as a teacher. I was teaching at a small college and I was starting to feel that I kind of was being too soft, that I needed to be a little tougher. Mm-hmm. I need to be a little tougher teacher. I'm not going to get walked on by these students. That was, yeah, this was many years ago. And I started to take on a tougher personality. When I was in class, I started to push back a little bit. 
you know, and, and not let the students joke around too much. And mm. I created distance and all that. And it was a phase I needed to go through. But what I noticed is I hated my job when I was doing that. I wasn't happy. It wasn't authentic. It was not authentic. And when I first took the job and I first started teaching, I really fell in love with it. I enjoyed it. And it didn't feel like work. I felt like, oh, I get to teach tonight. Oh, yay, I get to teach. And then I got this idea that I needed to do something else. And I came to the conclusion that it wasn't working, that the best way for me to be a teacher was to find my own way, was to Mm -hmm. find my nature. Mm -hmm. There is a natural teacher in me, and I need to cultivate that natural teacher and let that natural teacher grow. And it wasn't me trying to be um, uh, tough like a judge. It was me finding my way to connect with them and relate to them. And it brings me to this idea of the right way to be a leader. And uh, the Tao Te Ching Mm. uses a beautiful example in in nature. And uh, this is uh, the Tao Te Ching chapter 66. Why is the sea king of a hundred streams? Because it lies below them. Therefore, it is the king of a hundred streams. I love this idea that suggests that the way to lead is to be lower than the people you lead, that there is a natural gravitation towards those who are below you. And it seems contradictory at first. We look at that and say, well, hey, gosh, you know, a a king rules from above. And then Lao Tzu comes along from the Tao Te Ching and says, no, a king rules from below you. Because if you become the very foundation of the people that you're leading, they're standing upon you, they're relying upon you. How could they rebel against you if you are their very foundation? Right. And it's, I think it's important to state that there are different forms of leadership. Absolutely. And yeah. from my point of view, at least, uh, the Tao Te Ching represents uh, a form of enlightened leadership. It's Agreed. saying Agreed. what is yes. the most subtle and advanced, uh, deepest, truest way, the most holistic way, the ultimately most beneficial way right. for all involved to yeah. lead. Agreed. Yeah. And, and there are times when we maybe don't have the know-how or the circumstances to lead that way. And, and that's you, okay. And you can't fake it because if you do, that's not leadership. That's right. being false. Right. And some people um, who are afraid of that have to contend with that reality, which is that they may fail miserably to actually lead that way because they're not congruent with the idea of leading. Right. And until that right. congruence happens, and that can happen sometimes through being the other kind of leader. Sometimes a person who is the best leader starts off as a crappy leader. Yeah, absolutely. They're dominate, dominating, domineering, um, you know, authoritative and whatever, but they may grow to the point where they realize that the highest form of leadership is leadership of self. Yes. And they start to work on becoming a better person and then suddenly they become the most profound leader ever. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it sort of reminds me of um, the other leadership examples that nature has to offer. Sometimes the, the leader of the wolf pack needs to be a tough wolf, yeah. needs to be able to fight, needs to be able to bite, needs to be able to hunt and kill, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes 
that's the kind of leadership that might be called for in certain situations. However, as you said, um, the highest level of leadership is to rule from underneath the people, you know? And so there are lessons there. And so for me, that was something in my life where I was going against my own nature in that situation by trying to be the wolf pack leader. And I realized that that was the wrong kind of leadership for me in that environment. I needed to be the person that the students loved because if the students loved me, then I, re- I started to notice that they hated to disappoint me. Mm-hmm. So now I'm leading them from inside, you know, and, and there's a certain nobility in that, and that kind of, um, uh, that kind of teaching and learning, you mm-hmm. know, and it worked for me. Um, and I could see that example in nature and that, that, that was, that was nice for me. I didn't have to be this jerk coming to teach class every night. I love how nature teaches us things. And, and a little while ago, we were talking about um, uh, that it teaches you to be yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, Zhuangzi, another Taoist uh, philosopher, um, uh, a student or contemporary, supposedly, of, of Lao Tzu, you know, the, uh, the so-called founder of Taoism, right? Uh, tells a great story, uh, and I'd like to share it. Wonderful. Okay, so here we go. This is Shade Said to Shadow. Shade said to Shadow, A little while ago you were moving, and now you're standing still. A little while ago you were sitting down, and now you're getting up. Why all this indecision? Shadow replied, Don't I have to depend on others to be what I am? Don't others also have to depend on something else to be what they are? My dependence is like that of the snake on his skin, or of the cicada on his wings. How can I tell why I do this or why I do that? Nice. So, so there were. And what we, does the sh- what does the shade depend on? Yeah, and what does the shade depend on? Yeah, exactly. A solid and immovable structure. Right, right. There you go. And uh, I, I love this idea that shade and shadow are kind of the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Except one is moving and one is not, and yeah. they're dependent upon circumstances, just like we are. Right. You and I sitting here right now are dependent on the fact that our parents made us and we had food and we were born where we were born and we had the mm-hmm. education that we had and, and so on and so on and so on. And, and here we are. And so we have these particular natures that are based upon these circumstances. And you know what? That's okay. Hmm. It's okay. It's okay for shadow to move and for shade to be still. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't we find that often the answer has been there all along, staring back at us, just sort of waiting for us to come upon it, to realize it, to accept it, or to open our eyes to see it. Agreed. Yeah. If we take the term natural resource, mostly that means <laughs> fossil fuels, right? Yeah. Um, not, but not, also not solar <laughs> and also wind and all these other things are natural. They're, they're things that occur and exist in nature that we use, utilize in our lives to, uh, to whatever ends we use them. 
but a natural resource that most people gloss over, I think, are human beings. And also, within human beings, are natural resources. Um, motivation, curiosity, inspiration, uh, you know, memory, uh, experience, love, passion, connection, uh, human connections. You know, you could go on. Yeah. There are natural resources within you. And uh, when we make decisions, we've talked about this, you know, making decisions should always be done from a resourceful state. Yes. It's a resourceful state, a state yeah. of mind where you feel there is an abundance of the thing that you actually need in order to solve it. Yes. Uh, that can be as simple as getting out of an unresourceful state, which is a state in which you feel there are limited resources and there's not enough patience, yeah. not enough yeah. you know, skill, not enough um, peace, not enough of whatever it is you, th- you think you don't have. That's not a place to make a decision. A place to make a decision is a place upon which your brain is no longer in a limbic state. It's no yes. longer drawing upon the reptile mind. Right. It's now focused on a much broader experience. It's drawing upon um, you know, positive memories of being successful. It's drawing upon um, the belief that you can solve something. It's drawing upon relaxation. It's drawing upon the ability to open up and view the world in, in new and unique ways. Um, it's that part of you that relaxes when you take a shower, when you have a nap, when you've had an orgasm or when you've had a great meal, Yeah, step into that moment of remembering what it was like when you did a great job as you passed that test or as you gave that presentation or as you completed the assignment or as you, you know, raised the level of weight you could lift or ran faster or longer than you've ever ran before, or you mm. caught the ball and passed the finish line. Whatever it was, these are all resource states. You know, when when that guy or that gal said, I want you to, you know, these yeah. are all moments that you can draw upon that are resources. Yeah, yeah, beautiful point. Yeah, beautiful point. And it's natural. It is. And it exists in nature. Yeah. You, know, you don't find... Uh, uh, very much evidence that that the lion is doubting himself before he pounces upon the prey. Right, exactly. You know? Yeah, he's completely focused. Yeah. He's in a flow state. Yeah. And you know, you're pointing this out, and I'm thinking about why do humans have episodic memory? Yeah, because we need to use these kinds of resources. You know, humans are unique in the sense that uh, we are a creature that is existing in nature that has a timeline in our memory. We have the ability to place memories um, in order, mm. you know, throughout a lifespan. Why? Because we need to go back and use those resources, right. you know. And and I like to talk often about um, misusing memory versus using memory appropriately. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is this is an idea that I really like. Um, and you're describing all these opportunities for us to properly use memory, as opposed to the one type of use that many of us make all too frequently, which is to misuse memory and think of all the reasons why we're not going to be able to succeed in this thing that we're about to undertake because of all the past failures that we've had. (laughs) It takes a lot of planning to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Reflection is a tool that, that, uh, it seems that, that human beings are, are the only ones that do, you know, we're meaning making machines and we reflect, you know, this is a, Use of memory, right? But yeah. also use of uh, our ability to project possibilities. 
You know, our, our prefrontal cortex can imagine what things might be like that haven't occurred. We can map across experiences we've had to experiences we haven't had or are yet to experience. And that act of reflection, and reflection is in nature. We see it when we look at ourselves in, in a body of water. Um, we see the reflection of ourselves when we start to, to uh, compare ourselves with what it is we see in nature. You know, the, yeah. the, the uh, moment of rage that comes over a person can be likened to the storm. Yes. The electrical storm that causes damage, right? Uh, yeah. And you don't know what that damage is going to be until it happens, right? There are so many metaphors like that. And I find that uh, knowing that there are answers in nature is just me accepting that that's true and allowing myself to reflect on whatever it is. I can, a- I can ask myself a question and it can lead me down a pathway toward receiving an answer. So in NLP, we say the question is the answer because the act of asking creates a, a flow of thought can, that can lead you there. And the type of question you ask can change the frame upon which you begin to see the possibilities of what could take place, what could be. So asking the question is just as important as receiving the answer, if not more, because yes. it gets the ball rolling. And we've said this before yeah. too, a question well-formed is a problem half-solved. Correct. If you can ask a question that presupposes a solution by simply asking the question, it's creating the possibility for an answer, right? Um, like James Tripp and uh, others who've, who've asked that question, uh, Steve Andreas and others who've talked about, who am I when I'm not this problem? Or mm. what kind of person am I when I could look back at that old problem and see it as nothing, see it as not a problem, see it as easy, see it as a very tiny thing rather than a very big thing. Who am I as I'm thinking from that state of mind? So this yeah. is a projection. You're asking a question. You're asking a person to project into a possibility and yeah. try it on for size. So you're, they're using their prefrontal cortex yeah. and they're asking themselves that question. So what kind of person would you be when this is not a problem for you? Yeah, It's a little fancy little language dancing there to get a yeah. person to just snap into it. Yeah. Right? You want to get people to go into a state where there is a solution from a resourceful state and then project back yeah. onto the old problem and see that the old problem really isn't a problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's how do you such, do it? Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to be resourceful. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've done that to me a number of times. You've you've sort of maybe asked me just the right question or something which which uh, presupposes that there is indeed a solution. Yeah. And it really does change your frame of mind. You know, it, it, it does. really does. Yeah, it does. It, it's that that's helped me many times. Yeah. Many, it's helped many me times. many times too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we I have know, to no share the things it. that work for us with yeah. the people we love. Yeah, totally, totally. You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, Quest for Excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation about lessons from nature 
exploring fascinating topics such as King Solomon, vision quests, and some really cute pet stories. Stay tuned. When you find an example in nature that is behaving like a solution to the problem that you're dealing with, mm-hmm. um, it can be fun to try to embody and to take on the characteristics of that thing. Yeah. You know, um, you know, uh, I, I have this big problem in my life. I, I feel like it's like a boulder crushing me. Yeah. And then what do trees do? Mm-hmm. Trees continue to grow anyway. And many trees have cracked boulders and split them in two. And you, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, so become that tree, become right. strong. You know, um, uh, if you say, I, w- what would a tree do if, if a tree was growing in a, in a difficult position, a tree has no choice in where the seed sprouts, right? What's it going to do? You know, it's okay to just grow towards the light, isn't it? You know, and be thankful for rain and to suck nourishment right out of the spot you're standing mm. and be still, you know, and weather the storms and make it through winter and look forward to summer mm. and grow anyway and grow anyway. And next thing you know, you've cracked that boulder, you know, you know, just become that thing, whatever it happens to be. This is what the, uh, uh, you know, the martial arts traditions often do. There's, that's why there's tiger claw style, Mm -hmm. you know, move like a dragon, you know, pounce like a cat, you know, embody these things in nature that have a quality that we desire to have, that we believe that we need because those are resources too. Absolutely. W W M N D W W M N D. What would Mother Nature do? Oh, what right? would Mother Nature do? Are we going to get a T-shirt that says WWMND? You know, I think so. I think so. I like it. After it. I like it. I mean, what honestly, would Mother Nature do? And doesn't that represent what it is we're talking about? Yeah. So many great. examples, and so you could ask yourself, um, you know, what's in common with this problem and what I might find in nature. Yeah. Not everyone's going to have a quick answer for that because not everybody observes nature. But if you esteem nature the way we do or or in your own way, if you appreciate nature, you could start asking yourself that question. You could start saying, all right, well, let me try what I heard on the Authenticity Show. How does the problem I'm having relate to something I could find in nature? You go, well, come on. You know, um, my computer crashing does not relate to anything I'd find in nature. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. What is the computer crashing an example of? Remember the chunking up thing? Mm, yeah. You know, what is it an example of? Yeah, yeah. It's an example of something either malfunctioning or having a lack of something, right? Lack of power, lack of programming, whatever it is. It's got yeah. an obstruction. It uh, may an have illness. a virus. An illness. I mean, yeah. you can chunk up and say, that's like this. Yeah. So just as a as a fun exercise, get out a piece of paper or do it in your mind if you prefer. But you could write out and say, well, you know, so this problem I have is like, and make a metaphor out of it. Mm-hmm. Then you could just simply ask yourself, um, you know, how am I the same as something else that exists in nature? Yeah. Either a primal human or a tiger or an eagle or a hatchling or an amoeba or whatever it is, yeah. search for a meaningful metaphor. And then you can then continue that inquiry and say, what would mother nature do 
to resolve a situation like that. Don't try to make it solve the computer problem or the relationship problem or whatever it is you're trying to... Make it solve the analogy. Make it solve the thing that you're making a metaphor with first. What would drive in nature the existence of the amoeba or the existence of the tiger or the existence of the hatchling or the existence of the eagle? Hmm. What would drive it to its next thing? What is it pursuing? What is its life pursuit? What kind of yeah. problems would it run into? What, how would it overcome? What resources does it use? Is it strength, speed, focus, the ability of breadth of vision? Yeah. Um, longevity. Is it, um, you know, rapidness of, of procreation and offspring production? Yeah. You know, what is it that, sure, that sure. are the qualities or what are the qualities that are there? And then when you have those answers, ask yourself that question of how can the answers I've just gotten absolutely apply to my situation. That's a wonderful way to just get an inquiry going. If you want to use mother nature, you know, the natural yeah, world. That's great. You know, <laughs> to help great. you solve your problems. What would mother nature do? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That's beautiful. You know, I think another important thing to point out about this is if you're walking in nature, and you have a desire to encounter, you know, neat animals and really experience mm -hmm. nature. Um, if you're walking and you're moving and you're making noise and you're trying to search and find, oftentimes you don't find those mm -hmm. animals. You know, you don't see all the things that are hiding in the bushes. And when do you see those things? When you sit down and you become silent and you become still and you become patient and you just simply pay attention and observe. Right. When you sit down and you pay attention, and it doesn't take very long. No. You and I know this because we, we like to go out in nature and hike and go running at night on trails, and we do these kinds of things. And we see a lot of animals. And we do see a lot of animals. And you know, when you stop and when you get silent, it only takes maybe a minute, mm -hmm. and you can feel and hear everything start to come alive around you. Yeah. You know, and in the same way, when you ask yourself, what would mother nature do? It can be very helpful sometimes not to strive to find that, but right. to say, let me just be still and just see what comes up. You might even see it during your day. Yeah. You might be driving and notice uh, a tree or a bird or an insect doing something that sparks that answer that you're looking for. That's a good know? point. Yeah. And, and, you know, nature, um, does work and nature can work very hard, but nature also rests and nature also follows its nature mm -hmm. <laughs> and nature sometimes does things effortlessly. And so it can be very useful to just sort of submit it to your subconscious and just know that, ah, nature will show me some ideas. Nature will spark some inspiration right. you know, to notice something. Well, yeah. and, and we have the power of reflection yeah, um, and we have the power of making meaning. Yes. That's uh, probably unique amongst humans. Yeah. Uh, human beings. And um, an exercise that uh, some who follow uh, more of a shamanic tradition would be to go out into nature. This is, is called a, well, this is one way to vision quest, right? Okay. There are many ways to do this, but this is one way to have a little vision quest. It doesn't have to be for days and days and days. <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't have to involve fasting, yeah, 40 days drumming, and 40 nights, yeah. 40 days, you know, hanging by a hook, you know, in the sun and <laughs> yeah. ingesting uh, psychedelic substances and so forth. It can be literally just, you know, you set a time aside, um, you know, part of a day maybe, 
and you go to a secluded area in nature and you can check in with your intention. You know, you start off by, by intending, okay, I'm here to discover something important about myself, the nature of whatever it is that's been troubling me and to tap into my solutions. Some people might say that is like a prayer or setting an intention or meditation or, you know, space clearing can involve, um, you know, burning some incense or just holding your intent really strongly in that direction. And you go and you temporarily suspend your disbelief. You allow yourself to realize that everything you're doing, uh, you know, if it's symbolic or spiritual or what have you, um, it's setting your mind towards a particular direction. You're saying, I want to have this result. I'm going to take action. I'm going to separate from my day. I'm going to drive for a couple of hours and get to this place. And I'm going to um, put myself in a situation where I can interpret what it is that I receive in a symbolic and important way. You could go in a direction that calls you. And then when you find a place that feels right to you, and this is very subjective, you go in with the intention of finding a place that feels right for you, and then you just trust it, whatever it is, and you sit. You might bring a blanket with you. You might um, you know, make sure that you're warm and whatever it is you have, a little backpack or whatever. But you go, and your goal is to be quiet. Your goal is to pick a space that feels right to you, and then to call upon the answer, to say, I know that I have the capacity to tap into my own creativity, my own inspiration, my ability to make meaning. So I'm calling that deepest part of me, the part of me that um, holds the generative intelligence, the inspired space within me. And I'm calling that into this moment right now. Maybe I draw a circle on the ground and sit within it, or maybe not. It's up to you. But you decide that you're going to be in that spot until you get a sign. The sign can show up as a clear descriptive moment from nature. It could be a bird that lands very close to you. It could be a snake that comes out of a hole. It could be um, <laughs> a swarm of insects that really makes you want to leave. <laughs> yeah, It right, could be right. a, a sudden, you know, five minute period where it looked like it was going to rain and storm, but it didn't. Yeah. There could be a, a bunch of things that could be interpreted. And um, just like the days of old, you know, you would interpret that uh, the signs of that, you know, the, the portents, right? The, the, the omen. And all you're doing is carving out space in your own time, your own day, and stepping out of your normal existence, moving out into nature for a moment, and then opening yourself up to a flow of inspiration, and then witnessing what it is you experience, and then deciding to make meaning out of that. Right, right. It's a conscious process. Yeah, and you yeah. just say, you know what, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to just record. I'm going to bring a little notebook out there. I'm going to write down what I experience and then analyze it. I'm not going to analyze yeah. it while it's happening. I'm going to just have the experience, take a snapshot, and then look at what it is that I saw and experienced yeah. or heard. And you could meditate or just be still. Yeah. It doesn't matter as long as you're getting a result. And you won't know if you're going to get a result until you actually do it. So I would encourage anyone to go and give it, uh, give it their best shot. Go out there and do it. I think you'll find that um, in most cases, people who, who carve out that time and actually do it will experience something powerful. Yeah. And they'll go, wow. Yeah, agreed. Um, this really weird th thing happened and, and it just felt 
like this was the answer to my problem or this was a solution. It came to me just like like a, a, an inspiration yeah. I suddenly got. Ah, oh, beautiful. It's a wonderful beautiful. way to use nature to speak to you through your consciousness. Yeah. Through the reflective process. You know, this brings to mind, um, my wife and I had a rabbit. You might remember our rabbit, Smidgen. Yes. Yeah, a little black and white lop. She mm-hmm. was beautiful. She was uh, 10 years old when she passed. And she she had gotten ill, and uh, the moment came, and it was clear that 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 you know she was she was dying, and so um, I put a towel on on my wife's lap and and put Smidgen on on Tanya's lap, and Smidgen died in in Tanya's lap, and I then had to um, you know start cleaning things up, throw the cage away, and all that. And I was really thinking about her, you know, and just sending out a message of of appreciation for the time we spent together and, you know, and all of that. And I just sort of opened myself up. And as I was walking out to the trash to throw, so I had made several trips to the trash to be throwing things away, you know, her litter box, old food, eventually her cage. And I look up right when this beautiful shooting star comes down. Hmm. Now, if Smidgen didn't die, that shooting star still would have fallen, right? But in that moment, I opened myself up to try to connect with that thing that is beyond our body. And at that moment, I noticed the shooting star. And it gave me a little spark of joy, a little, a little smirk, a little smile, like me and nature were sharing an inside joke, a little wink, wink, nod, nod. And I went in and I shared it with Tanya and it gave her a little smile. Now, I don't mean to say that um, that shooting star was a sign from the rabbit. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is um, I was paying attention and something out of the ordinary happened and it helped me feel better and it helped me feel connected to nature and connected to things that are greater than me, right? And it was a special moment that I'll always remember. Wow. And it has cast a nice memory on something that could have been a sad memory. But instead, that sad memory is now a joyous memory because of that shooting star. Wow. And if you hadn't been open to that experience, uh, you wouldn't have the gift of this story to share, which probably has informed more than just this moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it reminds me of the Dale Carnegie poem that goes, Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. Nice. That's such a great one. Perception is also projection. Absolutely. Yeah, you say that all the time, and it's so true. So true. Thing that I'll share a little a little lesson, you know, from from uh, from nature. It's really about how much love there is and support there can be in nature. Is every day, 
as you know, and as we've talked about a, a bit on the show, um, my wife Tanya has MS, right? Mm. And she's pretty, pretty disabled physically. And uh, every day I have to get her on the toilet. Mm-hmm. And this can be a stressful event, right? And this has to happen every day, sometimes more than once a day. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard on the body and it can happen at times when I'm tired and she's tired. I noticed every day, just before we're ready to get her out of the chair, Persephone, my dog, comes over and bites my hand and tries to get me to play with her. And I realized one day she has made it her duty to cheer me up, stir up my energy, and get me in a good mood before we do this thing. And she does it every <laughs> single time we go to the bathroom. That's so awesome, man. And I'm so thankful to her yeah. you know, that she does that. And, and, and I appreciate it even more now because I know what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. like, oh, this can be tiring and upsetting for daddy, so I'm going to go cheer him up. Right. <laughs> and oh she does gosh. it every time. How did she know? She just knows every time. And it took me a long time before I realized that's what she was doing. I d- it didn't make sense to me at first, but there she was doing it consistently every time. Well, and there's so many examples of, of, uh, of uh, domesticated animals, uh, you know, soothing their owners or, um, you know, seemingly consoling them uh, with an instinct about what's going on. I-, I can just think of my own life with, uh, growing up with my cat, Boris, we used to call him Baryshnikov. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, he was great. He, he used to fetch a cork. He would literally oh, wow. throw a cork and he'd run after it and grab it and come back. Oh, that's cute. He also played hide and seek, which was a lot oh, of fun. Oh, great. And he was also really clever at catching all the spiders and eating them, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, to each their own. To each their own. You know, it's not my taste. But um, he'd probably have some competition in, in um, with the Aboriginal tribes in, in uh Australia, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, um, when I would get injured, which was a fairly regular occurrence because of martial arts, um, Boris would always come and lay on the injured part and purr. Oh, how nice. It wasn't until later that I learned that cat's purrs uh, vibrated a frequency that is beneficial for bone growth, mm. uh, whatever, however many megahertz that is. I don't remember okay. what it was. Yeah. Uh, but there's some, you can look that up in, and, and there's all sorts of, um, science around that, you know, that, that what frequency helps, you know, with the, with the uh, ultrasound to help healing yeah. and cats have a, a range of frequency that is their purr and it's the same range. Oh, so I just think great. that's kind of neat. It's a wow. wonderful thing. We, I don't think we, we didn't reverse engineer cat purrs in order to make healing, but we, you know, it's just an interesting correlation, right? Yeah, sure is. But it's even more interesting that the cat always knew where to where to sit to do that. Yeah. It knew he knew where to be on my body and I didn't indicate it in any particular way that yeah. to my recollection. I would just right. lay there and he would just come up and he would go on to that yeah. spot. And uh yeah, really I really really thought about this, you know, yeah. did I do anything to indicate the spot? No. But as you and I know, from practicing martial arts, we can see things about people's bodies that others don't see because yes. we're filtering the world through that um, set of learnings. Yeah. And uh, Boris the cat <laughs> um, knew how to see things from the filters of his experience. Yeah. And so. Wow, that's great. That is literally an example of nature seeking you out to help solve your problem. Right. It's gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I would gorgeous. I would wince when he would first climb onto me because I was worried that it was going to hurt. But he never hurt me in that in that mm. way. You know, he always. Uh, 
I say in that way because when That's I was nice. younger, there were times when he would run up really fast and scratch me because uh-huh. he was just playful that way. Sure. But yeah. I mean, never when I was injured. Yeah. 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 I don't know how my cat always knows how to get in my way. He always ends up standing right in the spot I need him not to be. Yeah, that's a magical power that yeah. cats possess. Yeah, they, it is a superpower. Newspaper yeah. kitty syndrome where they are <laughs> yeah. always on the spot that you need totally. to read. You're like, oh, come on. I remember the time when I fell in love with wisdom. Hmm. And we've spoken a lot about Taoism tonight and the Tao Te Ching and Lao Tzu. And the time when I really fell in love with wisdom and especially nature metaphors as a form of wisdom was when we were studying martial arts together, you and I, back Mm -hmm. in the day, studying Mm -hmm. Kung Fu. And uh, our teacher read uh, a verse in the Tao Te Ching that goes like this. 30 spokes share the wheel's hub, but is the center space that makes it useful. Shape clay into a vessel. It is the space within that makes it useful. Therefore, profit comes from what is there. Usefulness comes from what is not there. This this idea of usefulness coming from what is not there blew my mind wide open. (laughs) I'd thought about that for days. Like, wow, how do you look at nature and see these things? You know, and I I, I didn't see those things easily when I was young. Wow, it's pretty amazing. It is, yeah, yeah. Like I said, that blew my mind wide open, and it's and my brains have been falling out ever since. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you, you know, in the Western tradition, there's um, you know one of the greatest um, mages, you know, uh, wizards of all time was Solomon. You know, as in King Solomon. Okay. And there are books attributed to Solomon, which may or may not be actually um, from King Solomon, but they're attributed because. Back in the old days, uh, people would attribute their works towards um, a, an earlier famous person. Yeah, which is, which is also the big tradition in ancient China as it well. It is, yeah. it is indeed. Yeah. Um, the, the rabbinical tradition that I'm familiar with says that Solomon prayed so incredibly hard that it, God took notice, and he merely asked for wisdom. And because he was asking for wisdom and not power, God recognized that there was the potential for great wisdom. And so he sent forth uh, one of the top angels. Uh, some say Metatron, some say Ratzel, but whichever angel it was, came down to instruct him in the first uh, most important elements of, of the sacred magic. Through this knowledge, supposedly, he built the Temple of Solomon, you know, the, the great temple. So it's really interesting how... Hmm. Um, you're talking about falling in love with wisdom. Falling in love with wisdom is is like unto falling in, in love with nature. Yeah, yeah. Nature's wise. So La- nature's wise, and yeah. wisdom comes from that. Um, we can accomplish great things. We can build temples. We can create whatever it is we're going to create. Yeah. Um, wisely. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Um, somehow this reminds me of uh, the Hindu story where there were these um, sannyasis, you know, ascetics, monks, mm-hmm. um, and they were at a stream or a river of some sort, and there was a scorpion that had fallen into the water. And one of the ascetics was trying to rescue the scorpion to save it from drowning. And every time he tried to pick up the scorpion, it would try to sting him. He'd drop it back in the water, and he'd try to pick it up again. It would try to sting him again. 
And the other monks, the other ascetics that are standing along the water's edge, they said, they started to tease him. Don't you understand? You know, he doesn't understand that you're trying to save him. He's, he's a scorpion. His nature is to sting you no matter what. And the monk said, yes, I understand. He says, but my nature is to love. My nature is to try to save him. Mm. So he's doing his nature. I'm doing my nature. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) it's just so nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think when we look at our own physical health. Sure. uh, We look at a body. uh, You know, there are references in the Tao Te Ching that you're referring to earlier about how moving doors never rust. Flowing waters don't stagnate. And you can draw parallels with the body. You know, this is why things like Qigong and Tai Chi, yoga, um, and, and just staying active, keeping the circulation of the body flowing through movement and through um, good diet and through practices. I think the Taoist martial arts and Taoist yoga derives from observation of nature and these traditions in Taoism. So I think that parallel can be um, you know, grandma's wisdom, so to speak, that we apply all the time. Yeah. in our lives today that, that, that are useful things. Yeah, sure. Um, Tao Te Ching, chapter 76. A man is born gentle and weak. At his death, he is hard and stiff. Green plants are tender and filled with sap. At their death, they are withered and dry. Therefore, the stiff and unbending is the disciple of death. The gentle and yielding is the disciple of life. Thus, an army without flexibility never wins a battle. A tree that is unbending is easily broken. The hard and strong will fall. The soft and weak will overcome. I love it. It's really endless, Satch. It is. The amount of wisdom that we can draw from nature is just unlimited. It is. And I learned a long time ago from John Blofeld in a book called Secret and Sublime that calmness in the heart of movement is the secret to all power. Hmm. Say that again. Calmness in the heart of movement is the secret to all power. Hmm. So we could go on and on throughout our lives and ignore the lessons from nature. Or we could continue to be lovers of wisdom and yeah, lovers of nature. <laughs> absolutely. And keep our eyes, ears, and senses open to what's possible by examining our life and seeing where the parallels are with the natural world and opening ourselves up to what that wisdom could look like if we were to apply it every day. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.